Good morning, church. I was up here. Critical to remember all the things you need. It's good to have you here this morning. Uh, You can turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We'll be starting in verse 18, or in chapter 18, excuse me, verse 33. Before we get started, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to you for what you have done. For sending your Son to suffer, to die, so that we might be reconciled to you. We pray, Lord, that we would never forget these truths. that we would keep them at the forefront of our heart and in our mind as we think about, as we think on everything that we do, they would be in light of and because of the truth that you have rescued us. We thank you that Christ is not dead and gone, but is the risen King who will someday come and establish His kingdom completely. Through Jesus Christ. Like I said, turn to John chapter 18 this morning, verse 33. As it says, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, "You, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Today, it, like Wes mentioned earlier, is what in the liturgical calendar is called Christ the King Sunday. Now, Christ the King Sunday is the last day of the liturgical calendar. We are not a liturgical church. Uh, Over the past two years, we've kind of been examining the 
the liturgy and, and, and what that means is there's a calendar kind of that the church is, as a whole has kind of come up with that kind of puts us through this kind of yearly cycle of the life, the, the coming into the world, Jesus at Advent and Christmas, the, the life and ministry of Jesus up until up until the resurrection and, uh, and then the church life. So that's that's kind of the, the cycle that we go through if we follow a liturgical calendar. We've just kind of been loosely looking at it and seeing how it can can encourage us and, and remind us of, of very important truths. And, and the last day on the liturgical calendar is Christ the King Sunday. And I think the reason why Christ the King Sunday is the last day of the liturgical calendar is that sometimes as we live our lives in what we call ordinary time, which basically from a couple, there's a couple extra things after after the Easter season, like like Whit Sunday and, and a couple other things we didn't really talk about. But pretty much from Easter until Advent, we, it's ordinary time. It's just the regular life of the church. And it can be really easy to forget that Jesus is not gone. Right in the church, we talk a lot about Jesus. We talk about what He has done for us, what His sacrifice was, and that's great, <coughs> and it's important, and it affects the way we live our lives. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> it's really obnoxious right into the microphone. It affects the way we live our lives, but. But it can really easily get lost that Jesus is, is not exactly done. His work is finished. Everything he has done for, for, for the work of salvation, it's finished. It's what we re read just a minute ago. But Jesus has not completely established what we call his kingdom on this earth. We're still in this already and not yet. Where we as his followers, we who are believers, Christians, we are a part of and, and enacting his kingdom, his rule in this world now. But it's, it's not complete yet. It's here, but it's not complete yet. He does not, he does not sit on the throne ruling over the, the whole world yet. So the last day of the liturgical calendar, we remind ourselves, especially as we start to look at Jesus as a baby, in the incarnation, to not forget that Jesus is in fact king. He is in fact king. And so we get to John chapter 18, and, and just to clue you in on what's, what's coming up in Advent and then in 2020, is we're going to spend a lot of time, uh, I think pretty much all of our time in 2020 with the author John. John writes, the, the, the Apostle John writes the Gospel of John, writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and also the book of Revelation. So we'll look at, not, not in their entirety, but we'll look at a lot of what John writes. And that's what we're going to do in 2020. So I thought it would be fitting to just start with John on Christ the King Sunday. So we're in John. The passage that I read comes from the last day of Jesus' life. This is during the trial uh, and to give you just a little bit of context so that we're not kind of just dropped in the middle of nowhere, Jesus has been arrested by the, the Jewish authorities. He has been tried and convicted by the Jewish authorities, convicted of, of blasphemy, which is a punishable uh, as an offense punishable by death in the Jewish uh, court system. 
But in the Roman Empire at this particular time, during what's called the, the Roman peace, n- nobody besides Rome was allowed to kill somebody. So in order to put Jesus to death, they then have to go to the Roman authorities and convince them that whatever crime he is, he is convinc- uh, convicted of is punishable by death. And so in the Jewish sentencing, in the Jewish trial, Jesus is convicted, is, is uh, tried for the crimes of blasphemy, calling himself the Son of God, saying that he's the Messiah. And if Jesus is not actually the things that he says he is, the Jewish authorities and the leaders, they're actually right in the way they pursue him. In, in actually condemning Jesus to death. This is right if Jesus is not who he says he is. Now, we know that Jesus is who he says he is. And we also know that the religious leaders, they had other motives. Jesus was taking away some of their authority, was calling them out on some of their false teachings and things of that nature. But, but as we look at the trial and we see what Jesus is, is being accused of, As long as we recognize, we know that what he is being accused of is actually who he is, namely that he's the Son of God and the Messiah. They're right. So they take Jesus over to Pilate, who is the governor of the region that Jerusalem is found in, the Judean region. And they they change the crime. They come to Pilate and they say, they say, yeah, he's, he's broken a lot of our rules, but Rome doesn't care about blasphemy. Rome cares about insurrection. Again, this is the time of Roman peace. It's called Pax Romana. This is where Rome has expanded and expanded and expanded. Now they're this global empire, and, and they found this relative time of peace. And they, and they keep this peace in, in basically two ways. First, by not being dominant over the peoples they conquer. So Assyria, a couple hundred years earlier, 700 or so years earlier, conquers most of the world. And their theory was, we're going to stop you from rising up against us by just spreading everybody out. So they conquered the people of northern Israel, of Israel in the north, and they just, they just took everybody and they spread them all over the world. And, and the theory was, if you don't know who your neighbors are, you don't speak the same language, you're probably not going to rise up against us. And if you do, it's not going to be hard to defeat you. Babylon was a little bit different a couple hundred years later. Babylon comes, conquers the world. Their theory was, we're going to take all the smart people, we're going to put them in Babylon, and we're going to leave all the dumb people everywhere else, so smart versus dumb will win. It's history. Rome was a little bit different. Rome, like the Persians after the Babylonians, they came in, and they conquered everybody, and they said, we're not going to rule over you and, and make you change all your ways. You can do everything the same. You can worship your gods. You can follow your gods. In fact, we'll make your gods part of our pantheon. We'll let you do everything you want. You can even rule yourselves, sort of, as long as you don't interfere with certain things. We'll let you rule yourselves. We'll let you follow your gods. Pay us taxes and don't ever challenge the authority of Rome. Pass taxes and don't ever challenge the authority of Rome. And so how they enforce this by having pretty much a Roman army in every little city. At least in comparison to everybody else. 
And so any time there was any kind of uprising, the people started going, we don't really like Rome ruling over us. Rome would go, uh, we don't care, and they'd just crush it into, into dust. And this was scary because Rome was this big, monstrous, powerful army that nobody could stop. They were... So they go to Pilate, and they use their brains, and they say, Jesus, he's claiming to be a king. Now the emperor, like, like I said just a minute ago, he, he kind of said, you can rule yourselves, but only sort of. The kings could rule, or the, the governors could rule, or the, 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 the leaders of the particular place could rule, but only if those guys would be in complete accord with the emperor and his ways. And so they were really just puppets. And, 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 and so they come to Pilate and they say, this guy, he's, he's not under the authority of Rome and he's claiming to be a king. And this, this is a big, scary no-no. Pilate knows that if he lets any of this start to fester, he's going to be put to death. And so he's got to stop it. And so he goes to Jesus and he asks this question. He wants to hear it from Jesus' mouth. He want, he's like, I don't see anything wrong with Jesus. He's not really, he's, he's not a bad guy. It seems like he's a really good guy, actually, Pilate's like, he seems like a really good guy, but this, 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 I can't let this go. I can't let this go. And so he asked Jesus, are you really a king? And we might think that Jesus is doing a little dance here, but, but not really. If you look at the Gospels, if you look at the, the ministry of Jesus during his life, there's no place where Jesus comes out and says, I am a king except when he enters into Jerusalem the last week of his life. And this is where things get real. He rides in on this donkey, the colt of a donkey, and, and this is a proclamation. We talk about this all the time when we talk about the triumphal entry into, into Jerusalem. This is, this is Jesus proclaiming that he is king. He is a conquering king. He's coming in to conquer. This is why everybody said, Hosanna, Hosanna. So Jesus, that, it's that one moment where Jesus can, proclaims himself to be king. And, and Pilate, he's like, you've got to say it. I need you to say it, because once you say it, then I can... Then I have an actual death sentence. Why do you ask? Did you, do you think this is? Or is it, is it other people putting these words in your mouth? Verse 26, finally, Pilate gets Jesus to respond. He says, he says Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. And just to make sure that this is very abundantly clear, Jesus is claiming to have a kingdom, which means that he is in fact, He's a king. And he's proclaiming himself to be king. And in, in, in the next verse, Pilate says, so, so you are a king. Just answer me. You are a king. He says, you say that I am. And then for this purpose, for this purpose, namely that Pilate would say, so you are a king. For this purpose I came. For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I came into the world. To bear witness to the truth. That Christ is king. Amen? Christ is king. Do you know that as Americans, we live in a world, we live in a culture that was built on this idea that we don't like kings. Right? Like, you know, some most of us know at least a little bit of American history. You might not be geeky like me and love American history, but anyway, you know at least some of the reason why America exists. America exists because of the tyranny of King George III, 
Yeah? Yeah, okay. I got a historian in the audience here. Sorry. King George III. Now, King George did things that weren't the greatest. We're not going to get into that. Did things that weren't the greatest. In America, or, or the colonies at the time, they said, we don't like this, and let's, let's get rid of it. So we have the Revolutionary War, and then a couple years later, we do, we do the, the Constitution, and, and when the, when the, in the, during the formation of the Constitution, the, the, the predominant resounding bell was, we don't want a monarch. No kings, no kings. We've got to do everything in our power to not have a king. So much so that actually George Washington, George Washington was accused his entire presidency of, of setting up a monarchy. George Washington had no children of his own, so it's impossible for him to be a monarch. It's one of the reasons why he was unanimously chosen to be our first president. Everything about our, our foundation is get rid of this monarch. And so we as Americans, unfortunately, don't have anybody to look to close to us that tells us what a king actually is. Because our president, not, not Donald Trump, but the presidency is very purposefully non-king related because we were afraid of having one person with power and authority. So there's a division of power. There's a division of all this kind of stuff. Lies with the people. This is completely new concept to, to human government and all this kind of stuff. The, the only real thing that we could look to are other monarchs in, um, in the world. Anybody know there's like 26 monarchies left on, in the world? I thought it was just Britain. 26. Ruling over 43 countries because Queen Elizabeth actually rules over a bunch of different countries called the Commonwealth. We're not going to get into that history. But, but we could look to her and we could go, okay, there's, there's a queen, a king, it's a, a monarch. So, so maybe Jesus is king like she's queen. But that also falls short because she's not, she's not the same kind of queen or king that we're talking about here. She's a constitutional monarch, which means that a lot of the power lies in the government similar to ours, with representatives and things of that nature. And so a lot of people say that Queen Elizabeth just a figurehead. That's actually not true. She's actually commander-in-chief of the army, but we'll talk about that in just a second. So we don't really have anything that, that just we go, okay, this is what we're talking about. We don't have that. So we have to kind of disassemble a little bit and talk about what exactly is a king when we say that Christ is king. I think there are two predominant things, there are two things that define what it means for Christ to be king. First is that Christ is all authority. Christ is it. He has all authority, he has all reign, and he has all rule. The buck stops with Christ. Now again, in our culture, in our American culture, where we do everything in our power to get rid of that singular focus of one person, we try to get rid of it because it's scary because the reality is people are bad and sinful and broken and whatever terminology you want to use, every single leader in human history has fallen short of the standard that Christ is. And so when we think about Christ being the, the, the divine sovereign ruler of, of all things, we get uncomfortable if we're, if we're honest with ourselves because we don't have 
a good example to look to and say, this is what it's like. The biggest problem with monarchical rule in human history is that power goes to our heads. Once power starts going to our heads, we start to do things that benefit us, that benefit maybe the elite or the people who are like us. Very few monarchs in human history cared about the peasants. Very few, right? But this is not what Jesus shows us he is, who Jesus shows us he is. And and I said a couple weeks ago when we were talking about we're talking about the doctrine of revelation, how how in Genesis chapter one, God speaks, says, and God said, and God said, and God said. And every time God every time God speaks into this world, it reveals a little bit of something about who God is. The same is true in Jesus life and ministry. That is Jesus. One of the predominant reasons why Jesus had an earthly ministry was to show us in human form, in human form, who God actually is. And what we see is not a tyrant king, but a loving and compassionate God. One who did not come and and sit and eat with only the elite of culture. In fact, she does the complete opposite. And he's accused by those, those religious leaders, right? He, they look at Jesus and he's eating with the tax collectors and the sinners and, and to, to interpret that, the nobodies. And they say, why would, you, why would you do that? And Jesus is like, these are the people I'm serving. Because he's compassionate, he's loving, he's caring. We can look at so many examples. One, maybe, are the, the children. Kings don't interact with children. They're too lowly. The apostles, they think this is how Jesus is going to be, right? So Jesus, he's going through the city and he's walking around and he's talking to people and he's, he's going to preach later. And, and, and these children, they're coming up and they're like, we, we want to see Jesus. And they're trying to get to Jesus. And the apostles are like, no, 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 get away, get away, get away. And Jesus is like, how dare you? How dare you bring them kids here? And he sets them on his lap and he hugs them and he shows compassion on them. Or the blind beggar. Blind beggar is sitting there. He's blind. There's no way of supporting himself. Jesus is walking through the city. He, he looks, he sees the man sitting on the side of the road. Scripture tells us that Christ had compassion on him. Compassion on him. He goes and heals him. Christ is our king, not as a tyrant king, not as one who is out only for himself, but is loving and is compassionate. Not only is he loving and compassionate, but he is just and he is good. The second thing that I think we have to know in order to understand what a king is, is that our king is our protector. I said a minute ago, a little, maybe a couple minutes ago, whatever it was, that Queen Elizabeth, who is the monarch of Great Britain or the United Kingdom, is, is, is the commander-in-chief. Like the President of the United States is the commander-in-chief of the army. Now, she doesn't enact that authority because she passes it off to other people, but she technically has the right. Because as the sovereign, as the, the, the ruler of the nation of Great Britain, the United Kingdom, it's her primary role to protect her people. This is who Christ is for us. He's our protector. 
Now I say this, and there's this, this, this glaring reality that it's been 2,000 years since we've seen Jesus in the flesh. And in those 2,000 years, mankind, whoo, we've failed pretty bad. Two what we call world wars, where millions and millions of people were killed. Genocide, violence, persecution, both of the church and the church persecuting other people, which is crazy to think that that would ever happen. What kind of fools were we? There's so many things where we go, where is God as our protector? Where's God as our protector? This is one of the most difficult realities that we have to wrestle with as Christians. Where is God? Scripture teaches us, though, that the reason why what we would call a delay, the reason why there is what we would call a delay, is that God is merciful. And in His mercy, in His in his abundant mercy, he is waiting so that more people might come to know him. And I would probably argue that everybody in this room who calls on Christ as Lord and Savior would be thankful because he didn't leave us where we were. But there is another truth that we hold to. There's another truth that we hold to as Christ is our King. A couple weeks ago when we were talking about creation, I said that the purpose of Genesis chapter 1 is not the six days of creation. I'm not saying that it's not true. It's not my argument. My argument is the purpose of Genesis 1, purpose of Genesis 1 is to show us who God is. The same thing is true, or the same logic can be said about the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation talks a lot about the end times and, and what's going to happen. And it talks about it in images and all this kind of stuff. And we could spend our whole entire lives trying to figure out the code to break. What is it going to look like at the end times? That is not at all what the book of Revelation is about. It might be exactly what happens down to the letter. But the purpose of Revelation is not to tell us about what's going to happen at the end time. It's to remind us that Christ is our king. He is going to reign and rule and he's going to bring about justice and defeat wickedness. That's what Revelation is about. That Christ wins. Simple as that. One of my favorite passages in the book of Revelation is Revelation chapter 19. Verse 11. Revelation 19, verse 11 says, Then I saw heaven open. And I is, is our author, John. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And on and he and he has a name that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress 
of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It can be really easy, I think, to convince ourselves that because injustice and wickedness seems to be winning the day, that God must be gone. That's not the truth. He will return and He will bring about the armies of heaven and He will wipe away sin and death and wickedness as our protector, as our king. Turn forward just a little bit. Backwards is maybe how you should say it. Chapter 11. It says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. This is where we realize in the book of Revelation that this is the plan. That it's time for Christ to come back and to, and to step into a role that is already enacted in part. He said at the start of this sermon that, that we are his citizens. And we are enacting and living out the kingdom of God on earth right now. But what we're doing now pales in comparison to what Christ will do when he comes to sit on his throne. And this is what the seventh angel is doing. Blows his trumpet so that we know that this is when it comes. This is when it happens and Christ will come and he will reign forever and ever. Verse 16, And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. For you have taken up, you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged and for reward and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and for those who fear your name, both small and and great and for the destroying and for destroying the destroyers of the earth we praise god because we know that he will complete his work and will eradicate sin and death will punish wickedness and who will reign in love and in compassion We do not serve a tyrant king. We serve a loving and benevolent king. One who we willingly and happily turn our lives over because what he commands, what he calls, what he how he reigns and rules over us, we know to be what is good and right for us. And we praise him. We praise Him because of it.
Long live King Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for who you are as ruler. this leader of our hearts, this defender. And while we know that there is trial and struggle now, we know that it will not last. That Satan will not win. We thank you that you are our true king in whose kingdom we truly belong. We ask, Lord, that you draw us ever closer, ever further in to who you are as our King. It's in your precious Son, Jesus' name.
Got a couple announcements here. Uh, things coming up next week. The first, uh, we'll have our our meeting discussing the 